welcome to another episode of Ask the Zamboni Experts. I'm your host, Doug Peters, and our guest, Jeff Campbell. He is a recreation facilities consultant and principal of Campbell Consulting Group. Welcome, Jeff. Thanks for coming aboard. Great. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Great. Hey, Jeff, could you share with us and our listeners a little bit about your family and where you grew up? I uh, grew up in Toronto and lived there until I moved to South Florida in 1991. Uh, and I've been in Florida ever since. I'm coming up on 30 years down in South Florida, but I'm still a Canadian at heart. I'm sure you appreciate the Florida sun as opposed to the snow that in the cold of Toronto, though, eh? I do. I do. And I appreciate the A. Um, I do. But I miss. There's things that you miss. I still have family and I try and go back uh, once a year or twice a year, but definitely not in the winter. I usually go back in the spring or in the fall. I love the fall up there. So I'm there. Great. I'm a little bit like that myself, having left Minnesota 30, almost 34 years ago now. And uh, there are things I miss about it. But when it's 75 and sunny and it's uh, well below zero back there, I'm not going to be complaining. Can you tell our listeners a bit about your career and how your path took you to Florida? Well, if I told you how I got to Florida, it wouldn't be that exciting. Other than I'll just say I was kind of like the Beverly Hillbillies. I'd had enough of uh, Toronto and, and Canada for a while, and I was very familiar with uh, Florida having uh, having family that had places down here. So we just decided that we would try it for a year. Um, in a previous life, I was a uh, an educator. I taught high school. I taught physical education, special education, and geography, um, and took a break, uh, took a leave of absence, and uh, rented my home, and took my wife, two kids, and a dog, and moved down here with the hopes of sticking around. And like I said, 30 years later, we're still here. Um, but I really didn't come down with a plan. So again, the way I came down is probably not the... Uh, most the best way to do it but things seem to have worked out for the most part so yeah i've been here since uh late 91 actually christmas day of 91. when you came down to florida did you get into your career as a teacher or did you do something else when you first got down there when i first got down here i didn't really know what i wanted to do and i know that sounds kind of you know whatever but yeah i really didn't know and i i I'd been here on vacation many times, but living down here was much different than actually just coming down for a week or two. So I got my bearings and we ended up in the city of Coral Springs, which I was told was a great place to raise a family and great schools and parks. And, and that was our first decision and was a very good decision. Um, and then I just looked for what interested me and I had a few contacts here. I had a relative that had moved down here a year prior. Um, he put me in touch with an attorney who I'm still very good friends with, and he's still my attorney to this day, 30 years later. And I did some real estate um, investments and did that for a couple of years. But really, it, I was still kind of fumbling around for what I wanted to do down here. And not to lead you into the next question, but at the same time, the Florida Panthers, the NHL hockey, uh, NHL awarded Florida a franchise in 93. And that was right around the time that I was getting itchy to do something else. And that's how I kind of fell into what I fell into for the last 20 plus years. Being that you're from Canada and that hockey is such a big part of the fabric of the community up there. Uh, were you a hockey player? And if not, what sports were you into when you're growing up? 
And again, you know, I'd like to say, especially back then, everybody was into hockey and they still are now. Um, I played hockey, uh, but at five foot eight and 150 pounds, I quickly realized that, yeah. So I enjoyed playing hockey. I played at, uh, I played travel hockey and I played club hockey at university, but that was, that was the extent of it. And then when I moved down here, I still, you know, I would get on the ice down here uh, when I could. But um, yeah, I mean, hockey was up there. It's, it's, it's a staple uh, and it doesn't really matter who you are, or where you are, whether it's hockey or whether it's just skating or recreation, it's still, uh, it's unbelievable how popular it still is up there. Uh, Canada lost a, a great person in Walter Gretzky and uh, I was fortunate enough to meet him as well as been fortunate enough to meet Wayne. Uh, who is be your biggest sports hero and have you had the opportunity to meet them? Yeah, again, it's it's very sad and ironic. I, I, Wayne was involved with the uh, project that I was in back in the early 90s. It got me involved in the rink industry down here through a uh, through a partner of, of mine. And so I met Wayne a few times and uh, again, just a great guy and only lent his name, which is what I liked about him. He wouldn't just uh, put his name out there on just about anything. So he was very particular in what he wanted to be involved with. And so we were thrilled to have him involved down here. And again, growing up uh, and growing up in Toronto, I tell this story and everybody chuckles, but the last time the Leafs won the Stanley Cup was in 1967. And I was 13, I won't tell you how old I was, but I was just a teenager. And my dad said, do I want to go to the parade? And silly Jeff said, no, I'll wait till next year. And that was in 1967. And I'm still waiting and hoping, honestly, that there will be a parade at some point and I'll still be here to be able to go do it. But yeah, so it's been a while, but hockey uh, hockey is in my blood. And, and, and especially when I got involved in it, in the projects down here, it really became a, a, a different animal down here as opposed to just being a fan. But yeah, I still watch games. I'm still very much involved and, and uh, have lots of great colleagues in the sport as well. Well, usually my compadre from our Canadian plant is on and I'd be busting his chops right about now. Where One of my last questions that I've got, and we'll get to that now, is are you still chanting 1967? You know, it, it... No, honestly... <laughs> Honestly, it's hard to believe. I mean, I can only imagine what it was like in Chicago for over 100 years when the Cubs never won and in Boston. Um, but to think that a franchise like this, you know, the number one or number two franchise in the NHL for 100 years, I mean, hasn't been able to put anything together to even get close other than in 1993 is just a statement in, in what are we going to call it, mediocrity. Um, I'd like to think that they're on their way now. I mean, they're headed in the right direction, but still, there's a long way to go. Um, but yeah, it's a, uh, I really hope I'll be able to see one. Yeah, this year, I think it's structured uh, so that a Canadian team is going to at least make the conference finals the way that they're having to do things. And I, I think what's surprising to me, more so than 1967 with the Leafs, is 1993 with a Canadian team winning a Stanley cup. And I, you know, I'll joke with our Canadians about that. I said, you know, last year, the reason why the NHL did the Edmonton bubble was so that the Stanley cup could be awarded in Canada to a, to not to a Canadian team, obviously, but 
Um, I'm sorry, if that's that was a joke. <laughs> it was an attempt at humor, Jeff. Okay, okay. <laughs> but that's why I don't get paid for being a, a comedian. Right, right. Understood. There's so much I could say, but I won't. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm hoping that they, uh, you know, I'm hoping, especially in this in this strange season, just like last season, that uh, that everything will go off as per. And yeah, the way the uh, the setup is this year, it's it's different than any other year. So it'll be interesting to see how everything plays out by July 8th, which will be strange in itself. That it will. So you moved down to Florida and you didn't take up uh, or continue your teaching career. How did you get involved with the Panthers organization? And were you involved with the design and build of the first practice facility for the Panthers? This will be a long sentence, so I'll apologize in advance. Just cut me off whenever you need. Yeah, in 1993, the Panthers established themselves down here as an NHL franchise with Mr. Heisinga at the helm. And there were very few ice arenas, in fact, in, in where we are in Broward County or South Florida, which is Miami, Fort Lauderdale, and West Palm Beach. There were only two ice facilities. One was a single-sheet ice chalet. It was called Sunrise Ice Arena. For those that are listening and the other one was called gold coast ice arena both were both were i'll just say aged or aged in 1990 and one of them is still standing right now um so again i was looking and did a little investigating and said how come there isn't a new facility and how come somebody smarter than me uh, didn't get involved and do something and every time I came up with a, I couldn't come up with an answer for it. And so finally, I just, I decided, you know what, I'm going to look into this. And as I looked into this, it became uh, more and more something. It became something of passion for me. And I was living in the city of Coral Springs. And at the same time, the city of Coral Springs put out an RFP, a request for proposals to develop a 180 acre parcel of land, a recreational park. And I, uh, I had a uh, consulting company, Can-Am, Canadian-American consulting group, and uh, I did some inquiries and put together, an R, uh, put together a proposal to submit to the city, and lo and behold, I was one of three or four that were selected for it, and then, uh, and then the rest is history, um, and that was back in 93, and uh, my, my idea was to design a twin ice skating facility, which now is... Uh, after the fact, but at that point in Florida, they looked at me like I had two heads because we were gonna do this on the edge of the Everglades. And so when I went out and pitched the idea, it was a bit of a stretch for a lot of people, but the city seemed very involved and, and where we were was uh, a great community of about 120,000 people, but within a, within a five mile radius of well over 2 million people. So it was, it was just a, a great location and uh, it went from there. So you left the cold only to get back into the cold. Was that a wise decision on your part to get involved with the ice rink? Well, I had to go out and buy all new socks because when I got down here, I threw away all my socks because I vowed I would never have to wear them again or use them again. And yeah, ultimately I had to go and get uh, some old clothes and some new clothes, but it was definitely worthwhile. And I, I loved every minute of it. And I loved the idea of, you know, being in a rink all day and, you know, coming out almost any time of the year and it being beautiful outside. And it was a real melding of the two together because as you know, you know, down here, forget hockey, forget anything like that. Ice sports in general 
would be wouldn't be in the top 10 of most people's list down here there's just so much to do so much to do outdoors so it was a real struggle to get the get investors and get other than a small handful of people that were either Canadians or people from the Northeast that were very familiar with hockey. It was uh, it, it was a bit of a struggle, but uh, it turned out to be just a very, very worthwhile experience. What involvement did the Panthers have at all if, uh, with the facility that was going up that at you're involved time, with? I'm sorry. At the time, the Panthers had no involvement. Um, I started the project on a cocktail napkin in 1994 and we were able to get a design and construction and a building completed on November 21st of 96. November 21st of 96 we opened Incredible Ice as it was known for the longest of time um, and it was like I said the first design twin ice skating facility in Florida and it was very different than any other uh, ice skating facility that you've seen and even to this day. Our, uh, the partners that I had were, in, were architects from Toronto that were interested in getting involved in uh, what they had called Wayne Gretzky's Iceland, uh, as I go back to Wayne. And they had a, uh, a format, they had a plan that they wanted to roll out uh, with Wayne numerous of these buildings around the country and this was going to be the flagship they were looking to do a similar project before we got involved together in Boca Raton which is within 20 minutes of Coral Springs and their deal for whatever reason with the city of Boca fell apart and they came to me and we partnered together and they built a we built a beautiful facility two ice surfaces and and a lot more and not a traditional uh, ice rink as you'd see in probably just about anywhere um, and so we were we were thrilled with the outcome we opened it in November of 96 as I said and the Panthers had just gone to the finals in June of 96 uh, with their magical run and everybody came out of the woodwork and everybody became a hockey fan and so it was it was great timing for this building to open up it was great for hockey at that time because the Panthers um, we're playing in Miami, in the old Miami Arena, which was a bit of a barn, only had about 14,000 seats and wasn't in a great area. So it, it basically all this came together and uh, we opened the building, as I said, and within four months, Mr. Heisinger, the uh, owner of the Panthers at the time and many other businesses, uh, decided that he wanted, he made an offer to us and we decided to sell it to, the, uh, to Mr. Heisinger and the Panthers. Um, the other group, that I brought in, we're still doing other facilities and, and big arenas from an architectural firm, uh, Stadium Consultants International. And I stayed on, and in fact, I stayed on for till 2016. So I was there for about 20 years. Uh, and it was just a great ride. Uh, the building, the Panthers took over early in 97, and I became an executive with the Panthers from 97 until 2016. And um, it was just, yeah, it, it was, it was, it was a great, great opportunity. And with the Panther brand, we really did a uh, a nice number on not just being an ice rink, but really being a, a branded uh, facility with an NHL team, which at that point was still uh, in the infancy state, in the in its infancy stages. 
Jeff, that's something that I want to branch off onto is that uh, the NHL teams, the Dallas Stars, the Philadelphia Flyers, the Arizona Coyotes, uh, the Anaheim Ducks, some of these teams now have done that. And you were involved with get-togethers, sometimes formal or informal. I remember Let's Play Hockey uh, show in Vegas. They used to try to get you guys together to talk about uh, the ins and outs and how that worked running a practice facility for an NHL team. Can you expand a little bit on that for our listeners and us? Well, and, and you led me right into what I was going to say, which was our facility from the get-go was quite successful. And we were part of that ice rink construction boom in the mid-90s, where, as you said, other NHL teams had similar ideas and similar ventures, ventures into the community ice rink business especially in the Sun Belt, where hockey was still growing. To your point, San Jose, LA, Anaheim, Phoenix, Dallas, the Lightning, and later on, uh, Nashville and St. Louis, as well as the Flyers, all had NHL, NHL team either ownership or involvement. And many of them became practice facilities. But these buildings became marketing tools for the team. And again, not being in Toronto or Montreal or in the Northeast where hockey is really ingrained and having to grow the game, these buildings open pretty much 365 a year, every day of the year, were great marketing tools and great facilities to be able to grow the game from the ground up. And when I say the game, I mean hockey primarily, but again, in our facility and in all of these new facilities that were built, and most of them were at least two sheets of ice in each building and some, and some more, you needed to be a full service facility. You had to have ice sports and not just hockey. You needed to have a, a figure skating and curling and just about anything else that could be done on ice in order to be profitable, in order to be successful, and in order to have sustainability. So I think that you know I was lucky enough to be involved at the right time, as I said again. And to your point, uh, a good friend, Mike O'Hearn in, uh, in Phoenix, had a small group of NHL uh, facilities people that got together uh, very randomly, and it turned into uh, a group that had close to 15 to 20 people by the time I left in 2016 that we would get together annually for typically a day and a half to two days around the country, and it would be the best two days of the uh, of the year for us because we would share best practices, we would share financials, which is not not very not done very much because people are very uh, secretive of their of their business and don't want to share, especially in their own markets. And I can tell you that in those meetings and in those conferences, there was lots of fun, but there was lots of energy. And uh, and to this day, uh, I speak to just about everybody on in, in that group for. Uh, help for uh, advice and what are you doing now and what's changed and how is your business doing and so it, it's interesting and it was very different from a lot of the other rinks in the country where the 2,500 to 3,000 rinks in the country there's only a small group that would be owned by NHL teams or have that um, marquee with it and we found that when we went to conferences whether it was ISI or any of the other conferences that were held, when we would sit in some of the um, information sessions, they didn't really apply to us. And by that I mean that you know we we had we, we weren't a 
and this will come out wrong, so I apologize. We were more than what some people would think of as a mom and pop facility. We had departments, we were much larger, the expectations were much higher from the NHL team. So it was, it was on us to make sure that we were absolutely doing as much as we can to drive revenues, to manage expenses, and really to do things a little differently. Um, and so we formed this little group, or this little group was formed, and I was lucky enough to be involved in it, and it really, really helped a lot to really see what you were doing. And because we were in different parts of the country, it was interesting to see what was what Phoenix was doing or what they were doing in California versus what we were doing. And like I said before, we would we would usually host it at one of our buildings. So we would do a tour. We'd get an NHL game in at the same time, um, and we would spend a good two days in a conference room. Um, going over information and sharing information, and, and it was great. Jeff, what kind of challenges were you faced with in running an NHL practice facility? Not only just doing that, but having it in Florida. I, I've been around to some different facilities, was just recently at a new one where there was several wealthy people that contributed to the building, and how were you able to get that balance to where you had to get the revenue in, but still satisfy the needs of the team and its ownership. It was a bit of a trick at the beginning. Um, we had two sheets of ice, and with two sheets of ice that were pretty much fully booked 18 hours a day, it became a, a trick. Um, I would say um, in the early stages, the team practiced at a new arena that was built about eight miles away from our uh, building in Sunrise, Florida, where they still play today. They moved out of Miami into a big, much bigger facility, and they used that facility for most of their practices. And when they did come over to our building, it was more uh, we were more a satellite, and it was far from ideal because, again, locker room situations, medical situations, they were far from ideal, and that led us to looking at another building. We were going to build a second facility, a second Incredible Ice in the city of Weston, which was right in between the, uh, the big building, the arena, the Panthers Arena and our building. And we were very close to having a deal done there and something happened with the city and they decided against it. And that's when we decided to expand Incredible Ice in Coral Springs. We went back to the city who we, have a fa who we had a fabulous relationship with in a uh, private public in a public private partnership excuse me and we had some more land available and we added a third ice surface and a complete private training center for the team that we designed uh, i designed with uh, the team with the general manager with the equipment staff with the medical staff so they had everything they wanted um, and once we got the third sheet in we were able to absolutely take care of the team for uh, training camp, for rookie camp, for development camp, for all their practices, and it became their home. And uh, they had we put all the bells and whistles into it. It was uh, we expanded in 2008 and opened it in 2009, so that's 11 years ago from now. And it still lines up with some of the best in the NHL. It was uh, 16,000 square feet. It had hockey operation offices. It had a gym, it had medical, it had hydrotherapy, uh, conference room, uh, just about everything for the players and the players used it and loved it. How does it feel to know that you're the trendsetter? Um, I've been to numerous facilities and seen uh, things that I saw at your facility when it was going up and after it had been opened. 
Um, but how, how does it feel to know that you've created what everybody wanted to have as the bare minimum of their facility to, to look like? Well, I would say that when we were looking to expand and when we were looking at it, again, I go back to the small group. I flew to uh, Arizona. I flew to uh, San Jose to see what they had and Anaheim. And they all had hybrids of what we were trying to do. And we took the best of each of those facilities. I also uh, took my general contractor who we had selected for the project and went to Toronto and did a road trip in Toronto, um, showed him some facilities and actually went to the Maple Leafs new facility. It was just being finished as well and really drilled down to everything to everything in the FF&E and all the finishes, because again, the finishes for an NHL practice uh, training center versus what you're building for a community rink are much different. Um, so we really did a, a thorough job and it really came out, it was really, we were really excited. And you know, the team and the players especially, you know, you wanna wow them. And when they walk in, you don't want them to say, well, how come you didn't do this or this isn't. And when they came in, without a doubt, everybody was thrilled to be in there. They spent an inordinate amount of time in there. And it became, and still does, for most of the NHL uh, facilities like this, a recruiting tool. Um, players want to play in Florida, um, great weather, uh, no, no, no state income tax, uh, and then they would always parade all the uh, players and, and just about anybody else to the practice facility because they'd ask. The agents would ask, the players would ask, and they'd show them and they were suitably impressed. So again, if you go around now, as, as you know better than anybody, Lots of the NHL facilities have new and or refurbished uh, practice facilities for their NHL team. And in fact, they're doing the same for uh, AHL teams as well. Yeah, it's interesting with the Kraken coming on board in 2021-22 season, this coming, this coming fall, they'll be uh, starting up. What they're doing, I see, and, and you know, I want to give you kudos, Jeff, because what I've seen in these facilities are things that I saw you guys do well before uh, the other buildings have. The the stadium seating in the the TV room or the review room, whatever you want to call it, um, that was spectacular. That was as good as going to any movie theater. Having the uh, uh, therapy where you could be a, a water the cold water hot water all that stuff the lemieux practice facility up for the penguins uh, a lot of the things that you guys did is patterned up there and I, I think you can see it if you've seen some of the things that is going on with the crack in, in their practice facility and i'm sure in their building that they're going to build in palm springs uh will feature some of these things so uh, you know you, you should give yourself a good pat on the back because a lot of the things that that they want are things that you guys designed into your building. And, and I would think that, you know, when we, when we look back, you know, in the last 20 plus years, the whole industry has come a long way. I mean, I remember when I first got into this industry and you've been in a long time, it was really different than what it is now. Um, you know, the work that I do now in facilities consulting is for, sometimes it's developers, sometimes it's for municipalities, Sometimes it's for nonprofits and, you know, the expectations of everybody now are definitely ramped up. Um, the old barn that was just, you know, a sheet of ice where everybody would run in and run out. Um, 
is just not, you know, especially if you're a private developer or you're a municipality, you want something to be able to be a, a showcase. And again, it really depends on where in the country you are or where in North America you are. But when uh, the business that I'm in now and the facilities and the projects that have reached out to me over the last few years are, I don't want to say typically, but mostly in what I'll call non-traditional, again, hockey or ice sports areas. And so they are looking for something to complement what they have with their parks and recreation department or a developer is looking for something that will uh, do something for the community and give back to the community. But again, be profitable. And that's the trick with these buildings is, is you know, being sustainable and, uh, and keeping it busy year round because as you know better than anybody, they are a bear to manage. And uh, so yeah, it, 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 the, the market itself has changed dramatically for the most part. And a lot of the older buildings now are either being retrofitted, renovated, torn down and re or being rebuilt. And it's very rare that you see just a single ice sheet building being built right now. Um, most are at least twin ice skating facilities with two sheets of ice. And as you know, there are many buildings around the country with three, four, five, and even six sheets of ice, uh, depending on where they are. Yeah, to me, it's not really surprising that the growth is in non-traditional marketplaces because that's the least saturated uh, for uh, facilities and it's also interesting you talk about uh, the buildings and, and where they're at and what's amazing to me having been in this business for longer than 34 years with Zamboni is that when that growth happened in the 90s those buildings are now approaching 30 years old and there's an organization out there called Black Bear which is out uh, taking a look at acquiring and have grown substantially with the amount of facilities that they've acquired. And I think that it's people who got into it, and both you and I are not as young as we were 30 years ago, uh, and they're looking for an exit strategy, and maybe it's not there, and they've got somebody walks in and says, hey, uh, I'll buy your building from you. Do, you. do you think there's gonna be growth in that side of the marketplace as well, Jeff? Well, I think that what you, what you just said and who you just said, that's exactly what's happening. Again, a lot of people get into this business I don't want to say for the wrong reasons, but maybe not for the right reasons. Um, they could be hockey parents um, that have a small group of people that are really gung-ho and have, uh, have some financial wherewithal to be able to do something like this. Um, and, and again, I've spoke to or spoken to some of those people that are you know, looking to get into it. And this is a very tough business to get into. It's, it's not a... Uh, especially if you're gonna do it right, the, the, it's a significant outlay of capital, it's labor intensive, and to do it right, you really need a professionally managed building. And a lot of these buildings, as you say, they, they, aren't, they aren't successful and they're not successful because they don't really do their due diligence in the earliest stages of design and really seeing you know, whether there is a market um, or they're only thinking of their their daughter who's a figure skater or their son who's a hockey player when he's seven, eight, nine years old, but in 10 years when he's gone and then they're left with this, this large building that, that is a business that needs to, to run and to your point, needs significant work because the, uh, the capex that goes on in these types of building is very substantial. Uh, refrigeration system, dehumidification systems, rinks and boards and everything. Everything is very expensive to repair, to keep up and maintenance is a bear in these buildings. So 
yeah, the, uh, I, I think that there are people out there that are always within the industry and the industry is relatively small, looking for deals per se, or looking for businesses or buildings that could either be in trouble or to your point, somebody wants out and they'll go in and spend some dollars, refurbish and uh, turn the business around or just put it into their portfolio. Yeah, if people will allow me to give them advice when uh, they're talking about building a rink, I usually ask, can I ask you, or can I offer you some advice? And it's, there's easier ways to make money and harder ways to lose it than owning and operating an ice rink. And the when they're trying to get a better slot because they want their kids skating at seven o'clock instead of nine o'clock at night, or they think their kids, the next Wayne Gretzky or I'll go old school, Peggy Fleming uh, as a figure skater. That's not a good reason to build an ice rink. And it's great to have resources like yourself out there that can hopefully educate them so that if they do decide to proceed, they're going down the right path. And, Sadly, many of them don't do that. Many of them just go ahead and start building and they either find during construction or at the end of construction, just many of them turn into a, a, a bit of a problem. Although there are many successful buildings around the country and again, well thought out, well planned out, um, but it really is, it, it's, it's, it's a calling. And if you're not a hands-on operator, if you have to bring in a management company, there's added costs to that. And then I found in the 20 plus years that I was involved, um, I was involved. And, you know, that's who I am. If it's, if it's got my name on it or my face beside it, then I'm going to be involved. And no, I didn't need to be there at 6 a.m. on a tournament weekend. But I wanted to be there to make sure that all my staff was there in position ready to go. Most buildings aren't run like that. There's lots of them that aren't, and it, it, it's a travesty. Um, but again, to run a, a really good building like this, um, it takes it takes a good core of key staff. And I was lucky um, in the incredible ISIC, uh, um building to have exactly what I just said, a very good core of key staff that was with me almost the same 20 years that I was there. Um, and we had a uh, we had a, a strong staff, and they all bought into what we were doing. They, it was a culture that we created, and uh, it worked. Uh, but as I say, you know, jokingly, we were a family, and many times we we were a dysfunctional family. But you know, we would get in our conference room and air 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 it out, and then go out to the public, and everybody would do their job, and we just had a ball doing it. We loved it, and like I said, it was a great ride, and. We were, not to pat ourselves on the back, we were very successful. Um, and uh, it was just a pleasure to do it for all those years. What challenges and or responsibilities did you have in helping to promote the NHL game in Florida, which wasn't a traditional ice market? Oh, we, again, sitting on, sitting on the executive board of the Panthers, um, you know, I would be in weekly meetings, update meetings, I would be on all the retreats. And I would always be in the corner raising my hand saying, I'm over here, I'm over here, you know, we're, you know, and what can we do? And so again, being, being associated with the team and depending on who was in control of marketing, who was in control of uh, game presentation, et cetera, we would always be involved, whether it's in game, in between the periods, uh, on TV, doing uh, interviews, 
um, promoting our figure skaters in between the periods or so we had a great and again we kind of grew it because we were both at the at the beginning we were kind of learning and as a new franchise they were learning and we were really trying to be not just the ice rink in Coral Springs but Incredible Ice part of the Panther part of the Florida Panthers network and we really ingrained ourselves and we would really like get involved and want to be involved and as we grew we were just we had many events at our building and we promoted our building out in the marketplace all year long when the you know unfortunately uh, there were some lean years with the Panthers and they would be finished April 4th or April 5th or April 6th and there wouldn't be any playoffs and from April until you know middle of September it was a long dry zone for uh, hockey within the community and like I said you're living in South Florida where the weather is 70 80 degrees all year long and there's lots of other things to do so we would work very hard to make sure that our building was just as busy in April, May, June, July, and August as it was in the traditional ice sports season of September through March. And when I'm talking to people, and as you know, I mean, it's easy to fill a building no matter how many, well, with one or two or three sheets of ice from October through March. It's much trickier to uh, do it in the shoulder seasons and in the summer season, especially down here. Um, but it, it, it took uh, a lot of work and a lot of coordination. But again, we, we had a really good relationship and a very tight relationship with the Panthers. And that was a credit to them and a credit to my team and, and, and them, including us in, in part of the picture. Did the synergy between the team, did that help? Or with there were several years that the team didn't perform very well on the ice. Um, could that be something that also could ultimately hurt uh, your building when you're trying to develop more people coming into it? Um, I would say no, because I really think that, you know, the Panthers and the Panther brand, again, being in South Florida and having a lot of transplants from the Northeast and from Canada, I mean, they were looking for hockey and NHL hockey, and there is a good core of NHL hockey fans down here um, that, are, that are hockey fans and Panther fans now. And yes, there were a lot of years when they didn't have a lot to uh, to cheer for, but we were always associated with the team, and it really it, they weren't really it wasn't a detriment, I would say. Um, it was, and it allowed us, it gave us a lot more latitude than we would have had if we weren't. I mean, you know, we we started the Florida Junior Panthers travel hockey team that was again associated with the team. Um, we had a lot of players. In certain, in certain years that were older. So they had kids, young kids that were in the learn to skate or the learn to play hockey program or in the youth league or travel league. So they would be in the building. We had coaches, many coaches, many, many coaches that came through. And um, again, they would, because I had a very good relationship with them, you know, they would come out or they had kids or they wanted to use it as the facility. And so there was a draw to the facility when they were in the building and it was nice. And it really worked out for the most part. Again, having a you know having a uh, a team that's uh, like San Jose that you know has pretty much always been in the playoffs. I mean that's a huge boost. Um, and also looking back, it was a credit to ourselves that, that when the team wasn't doing well, we were still doing well because we were a community-based facility and we reached out to the community that we were we're within and in the South Florida market 
and we became a known entity. Um, you know, being in being in that building for 20 plus years in a non-traditional market and really being involved in just about anything uh, within the marketplace helped us immensely. But yeah, the team was definitely, I mean, I, I love being associated with the team and all that it brought to us and the notoriety, good and bad, but good. The team seems to be looking better, some talented players on it. Uh... How do you think that they're going to be looking going forward? I think I think they've got a great core now, and they've made some changes once again. I mean, they they've gone through many changes over the years. I want to say that while in my tenure, I think I went through four different ownership groups, which was trying. And back to your question before, it was a bit trying because each ownership group came in and had a different model or a different set of uh, personnel. Um, but I think the team's well positioned now. And to your point, back to the playoff format, it's going to be very interesting to see how this thing rolls out this year. So, yeah, I, I think they're in, in the best shape that they've been for a long time. Share with our listeners what you've been doing post your career with Incredible Ice and what you're involved in these days. Um, since 2016, uh, I've been, I started a small facilities consulting group having to deal with recreational facilities. Um, and yeah, I, I'm involved in feasibility studies, market analysis, uh, financial modeling, management startup, and I've worked with, as we said before, uh, private developers, municipalities, uh, professional teams. Again, I, I'm not looking to be very big. I've got a, a, a small stable of people that work with me in, in, in different areas and have different areas of expertise and bring that to the table. And we don't want too many projects at once because we want to be able to deliver to whoever we're working for. I was working on a project in Palm Beach Gardens for almost two years um, to build a multi-sport facility that included ice, but also included gymnasium space, squash, uh, just a very interesting building in uh, Palm Beach Gardens, about, uh, about 30 to 40 miles north of here, just north of West Palm Beach and just a fabulous community. Um, they are in fundraising mode right now, and we'll see where that goes. I've also uh, have some other, uh, I'm working with the Jacksonville Icemen in the East Coast Hockey League that are looking for a, they're looking to do renovate an existing building and add on. I'm helping them. So yeah, and I've got some other, uh, some other projects in the works as well. But I really like what I do right now. And, and honestly, I don't think I really want to go back and, and, and do the day-to-day -day managing as long as I can uh, keep involved in the industry. Um, and again, that goes back to me being involved and having, I'd like to say, really good contacts and, and a decent relationship over the last 20 to 25 years with people that I've dealt with that I can call somebody up that I might not have spoke to for a while and get their ear and, and you know, hopefully do business with them. So I'm, I know what I know and I know what I don't know. And, and, so I stay within my lane, but I think I can help. Uh, like I said, I've done some work with municipalities and private developers um, and just trying to get in early, like we said, so that we can find out better to spend 20 or 25 or $50,000 before you commit $20 million and find out that it's a, it's a no-no. So that's kind of where, where, what I'm doing, and, and, and I love it. Jeff, I think you spent a little bit of time in New York City. Do you want to talk about that? And Did you enjoy your time when you are up there? 
I was in New York City in uh, the fall of 2016 through the winter of 2017, and I was assisting with an outdoor seasonal rink uh, with a company that uh, in Bryant Park, the company that was managing it. I was there, and again, it was uh, fresh off my 20-year uh, uh, experience it with Incredible Ice and the Panthers. So it was very different for me, but I love being in New York City, especially in the fall and winter. Um, and it was really my entry into really looking into what I could do. Very, very busy in Bryant Park in Midtown Manhattan. It was just a fabulous venue and it's, it, they run every year and I was happy to be involved. And from there, I moved on to the Palm Beach Gardens project. I was lucky to have another one come right down the pipe. And that kept me busy for a while. So yeah, that, I really enjoyed my stay in New York City. Where do you see the future of either community ranks or NHL buildings headed as we navigate out of COVID and uh, into whatever follows it? That's a great question because, uh, you know, in talking to architects that I've been working with, I think, you know, in designing new buildings, I think some of the COVID protocols that people are doing now and putting together will be part of the new buildings being built. Some buildings will be retrofitted. Most won't be because of cost. And they'll find, operators will find ways around it as they have already for the buildings that are open during COVID. And again, you know, many buildings are, are open depending on where you are in the country. Some buildings are still shut. Some buildings are open. Some buildings are partially open. And other buildings are wide open. Um, so it's all over the place right now. But I think that, I think that there will be more time in the design phase looking at you know, locker rooms, especially egress uh, entry points, looking at uh, the types of buildings, uh, public, public assembly areas. I, I think everybody's gonna look at that and not just only in the rink business, but just in, in recreation facilities in general and schools, et cetera, because this has been a, an, unbelievable, an unbelievable wake up call for all of us. And, you know, it's been once in a lifetime and hopefully it stays that way. But there's no reason to think that you know, something like this couldn't happen again. And I think that everybody, well, I'm hoping that everybody will be much more prepared than we were for this one. How do you see the health of the ice rink marketplace in Florida these days? Again, going back to when I was involved with Incredible Ice in the, in the mid-90s, you know, there weren't that many facilities in the state, but since then, there have been uh, numerous buildings that have gone up. Um, there's a four, I, there's a facility in Wesley Chapel that has four surfaces that's uh, been open since uh, January of 17, that has become uh, the hub of hockey in, in Florida now. And again, being 30 minutes away from the Stanley Cup champions in uh, Tampa helps them as well. Um, and again, having Tampa as a uh, as a very competitive team in the NHL every season also helps their business. Um, but there are other buildings that have been built around the state. Most, as far as I know, have some have changed hands, but they're still being operated as ice rinks. Um, so I think that there's probably room for some more, a few more, depending on location and depending on you know proper market analysis, etc. Florida hockey has come a long way. And, you know, I was, I was looking at some uh, in earlier before we got on, I was looking at, in regards to that. I mean, I'm going back to when we opened 
you know, we were the first facility to host USA Hockey National Championships in the state of Florida back in 2002. And again, we did it in 2015 and 2017. Our facility was named Forbes Magazine, one of the top 10 best facilities in the, in the country to go skating in, in the early 2000s. Um, we introduced curling. And so some of these new buildings that are coming in, again, are, are, have to look at all those areas um, in order to be successful, in order, off, in order to offer, you know, not just hockey and straight public skating and figure skating, but, you know, get, get more involved. Um, I look at some of the names, you know, we, we've developed, and not just at our facility, but in the state of Florida, but in the mid-90s on, our facility, I mean, we have uh, players in the NHL playing for the Flyers, Shane Gossespierre, uh in Arizona, Jacob Chikrin, um in calgary oh no chicago now connor murphy sam sam gagne um riley stillman tyson berry um we've got lots of players that went on to play in the ahl we had i'm trying to think you know usa hockey development team usa hockey world junior team hobie baker finalists we had the nhl rookie of the year finalists and shane goss and all of these kids grew up in our building um, either at the earliest levels or played there for a while. So again, hockey in Florida uh, isn't the anomaly that it used to be, just like it isn't in California or even in Arizona. I mean, you look at Austin Matthews, who's arguably one of the top two or three players in the in the NHL right now, and he's from Phoenix. So hockey in our non-traditional states, um, and not just Florida, but all those other places, including Dallas um, and now Nashville, is strong. And we'll continue to be. The challenge is holding on to our players uh, when they become bantam aged 14, 15, because again, the competition sometimes isn't here. And parents, if, they're, if they really have gifted uh, kids that are playing or figure skaters, sometimes they have to leave. And whether it's to go to the Northeast, whether it's to go to Canada, whether it's to go to the Midwest, they feel like, and, and many times, I hate to say it's true, there's much more competition, many more games, and they can get the uh, uh, their development can be much can 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 speed up considerably by going there the same way that Florida and Texas and California gets the bulk of people that want to play football tennis golf or soccer year round where we have the facilities and the weather to you know to make people so but we've done a good job in Florida growing players and growing skaters as well. Yeah, it's something that I'm dealing with my nephew right now, whose son is a pretty talented hockey player. I got to watch him for the first time uh, through the miracle of technology with YouTube playing a game up in Minnesota, uh, and I'm in California getting to watch him play. And I've tried to tell him, there, Leroy, who uh, is a part-time resident in Florida, his son Travis, uh, we had on as a guest uh before he passed away last fall. Um, I, I'm a big believer in what Lee would say is that if your kid is talented, they're gonna find him uh, or her, no matter where. And yes, you can chase the dream a little bit further uh, or maybe in a different way by going to a more traditional marketplace, but the names that you've rattled off as well as the players that have come out of California uh, and having a D1 program now in Arizona, and I think that there will be a D1 program in California at some point in time. 
there it, it, it's not what it was when you moved from Toronto down where hockey was just not thought of in Florida. So, you know, I, I think that uh, your involvement certainly played a, a part in that, uh, Mr. Gretzky and his name being involved down there. Uh, I mean, I go back, Phil Esposito getting involved with the, the Panthers uh, certainly Tampa, had, a, Tampa. Or, I'm or sorry, Tampa. Tampa had a lot to do with making a name for it. And just, it's amazing to me to see what it's done now or how things are now versus what they were. And I think that if you look at that and say, look at how much you've been able to help grow the sport, what's it going to be like in another 25 or 30 years? So, um, you know, kudos to you, your staff. I, some of them have moved on to different things. And one of the guys that used to work for you, Jeff Emilius, is one of our distributors up in Michigan. And I think a lot of the skill set that he has has to do with the training that he received down in, in your facility. So. Yeah. It's funny that you say that. I was speaking to him yesterday out of the blue. And yeah, he's he's uh, he moved on and he's turned it into a whole new business and is just thriving. And and again, I speak to him. We speak to each other having to do with equipment, having to do with where 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 he's at, you know, and, and following his kids in their hockey career. So, yeah, we I still have very good relationships with most, if not all the people that we either worked with or or still do in some capacity and and yeah it's nice to see other people going on and you know staying within the industry and flourishing and and uh, and able to help out wherever they are well i've asked you all the tough questions now we have to get into some of these because i consider myself to be a foodie i've been lucky enough that uh was able to dine with you uh, on an occasion or two and i remember an italian restaurant that I think Luongo had uh, maybe had some involvement or a relative of his did, which was great food. But um, have you ever been blessed enough to be able to have White Castle as a meal? Uh, when I was out in California the last time, I, I decided I'd better go. So I stood in line and went there and I was suitably impressed. I was okay, suitably so that, impressed. That's got to be in and out because there's no White Castle restaurants oh, in, right, in right, California. That's okay. Sorry. But you can no. you can get the freezer section ones. They're just not as good. But maybe we'll uh, drag you up to Minneapolis and we'll go at about two o'clock in the morning to a White Castle so that you get the full experience, Chef. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to be heading up to Minneapolis anytime soon. I was there once in May for the uh, for the figure skating conference and it was still snowing. And I decided that that would probably be the last time that I go back to Minneapolis. What would be your favorite food? Um, you know, I, I, I love food. Uh, I would probably have to say pasta and, you know, not one particular, but just pasta in general. So for sure. And where would be your favorite place to travel to? I haven't traveled enough. Uh, I've been to some lovely places of all the places I've ever traveled to that I'd like to go back and, and maybe go back. And I think you'll know the answer is Hawaii. Um, I spend uh, a little part of my day looking at it uh, on YouTube every day on a live cam and going, yeah, I could go there again. But yeah, I really, I really enjoyed my time in Hawaii and went to all the different islands and spent more than just the uh, a day or two each. So I really got a, a nice flavor for it and would love to go back there for uh, an extended time. Well, my offer is always open that when I'm over there and if I've got a spare room, that uh, you're welcome to join us. It's my my slice of heaven and. I got a couple of weeks from now, I'm planning on headed over there. So 
Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, I really, really enjoyed it there. And, and again, living in what some people, you know, I'm living in a place that most people, as you are, come to vacation, uh, especially this time of year from November through April, you know, people come here and, and, and spend all their time and yet everybody's always looking to somewhere else to go, whether it's, you know, from here, they go to the Bahamas, from California, they go to Hawaii, but yeah, I really, really enjoyed Hawaii and would hopefully like to get back there sooner rather than later. I'm going to just kind of bust your chops a little bit on this one. The favorite place for you to go in your hood for a blue light special, seeing as how you qualify for a senior discount like I do in most places. Um, I'm just going to take a pass on that because I don't really know what a senior blue light special is, but maybe you could send that information or some of your recommendations down to me. I still go out for dinner. I still don't go out for dinner until the lights come on. So it's still a little later. I don't go for the early bird special. Jeff, how does one get a hold of you if they are in need of your services? Do you have a website? How is it that uh, we can help you uh, get your message out to people so that they don't make the mistakes that other people might have made? Um, the best thing to do is probably just contact me directly. You can go, uh, my email address is jeff at campbellconsultinggroup.com. I'm also on LinkedIn. Um, my website is still under construction. Um, but yeah, it's Jeff at Campbell and Campbell is spelled C-A-M, P is in Peter O-L, consultinggroup.com. And I'm, uh, I, I'm looking forward to hopefully speaking to some people and, and, and helping some people. And, and, and I, you know, there's, there's a few more names that I'd like to be able to tell you who I'm working with right now, but I really don't want to at this point because I don't have the, uh, the ability to say, but yeah, there, it, it's really exciting for me to be able to help, uh, private developers, like I said, and I'm also working with some some industry powerhouses that are just looking for some help on the community on the community ring side. So I'm offering my services and have been uh, taken up. So I'm uh, I'm thrilled. And if there's anybody out there that needs some help, uh, I'm I'm more than willing to be able to join in. Well, I can certainly vouch for your skill sets as well as your knowledge in the industry. And uh, we want to thank you for joining us today. We want to thank everyone for listening in to another episode of Ask the Zamboni Experts podcast. Have a question for one of our experts or an idea for a future episode, please email your questions or request to info at Zamboni.com. For more information and additional podcast episodes, please visit Zamboni.com forward slash podcast or search Ask the Zamboni Experts on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. This is Doug Peters wishing you an ice day. <laughs>